It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. This is our weekly opportunity to sit down with award-winning journalists from all over the East End to have a conversation about the week's news. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, the website 27east.com, and Express Magazine. Uh, my co-host is Bill Sutton. He's the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. Great panel this week. We have Beth Young, who's the editor of the East End Beacon. Hey, Beth. Good morning. Good to have you. Denise Civiletti, who's the editor of Riverhead Local. Hey, Denise. Good. Hey, good morning. And we have Gianna Volpe, who is the host of The Heart of the East End right here on WLIWFM. Hey, Gianna. Happy to be here. Good to have you. So let's start on the North Fork. We uh, we want to give the North Fork a little bit of love, Beth. Uh, some developments up there. Uh, first of all, in Greenport, uh, big big step taken um, just Thursday night, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, the Greenport uh, Greenport Village has been talking for since seriously since December of last year, but uh, informally before that on um, having a, a development moratorium downtown while it works to um, update the village, um, the village's local waterfront revitalization plan, which um, kind of guides development in a lot of uh, waterfront villages. And uh, last night, the, the new village board, um, there's three new members of the five member board um, that just were sworn in earlier this month. So the board passed it unanimously, um, which um, will give it another six months at this point, which um, was uh, more than the Suffolk County Planning Commission had recommended. So there was some concern um, going back and forth the last few months about how much longer uh, the, mor the administrative moratorium would be in effect. So last night they made their first move as a new board and um, basically unanimously approved this. So um, now they're, they really got to get to work getting all the code changes in place within the next six months. They're hoping to get it done this summer. Um, that's generally considered pretty optimistic, but we'll see. There's a lot of energy right now. Um, but uh, it's a pretty bold first move for a brand new uh, village board. Can you explain to people who might not be familiar what so what's the point of a moratorium? The why why put a moratorium in place? Um what's what's the what's the purpose of it? Um it's to to make sure that the um zoning code kind the, basically the, the village hasn't updated its zoning code in many, many years. And a lot of the uses that are allowed downtown are not necessarily what people want to see at this point in the village's history. I know there's a lot of um uh changes in uses from historic working waterfront uses to hotel uses that they're kind of looking at. Um, there was one proposal um, and um, that's been very, very controversial to build a hotel at the corner of Front and Main Streets, which is kind of like the centerpiece of downtown uh, Greenport. So that kind of spurred a lot of this. Um, and um, they're not happy about it. They're uh, seeking litigation. So um, we'll see what happens about that. Um, but there are so, a lot. So the, the moratorium just puts all like new applications and stuff on hold while yeah. the village looks at possible code changes um, for the future, what's allowed and, and what's not allowed. Right. But they yeah. always say six months and they never they 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 never make it right. I mean, villages and and towns across the east end. Everybody says six month moratorium, and it turns into twelve months or eighteen months or or, or right. longer. Are they optimistic that they can get this done in six months? Well, um, I mean, these people. A lot of the people involved are really new to village government, so um, uh, that that was a lot of the concern that was raised at the public hearings for this. The village has been under an administrative moratorium since December, so it's already been like five months. Okay. So now they're going to add a little bit more time to that. There's a committee that is working on it, um, but the goals of the new administration might be different than the goals of the previous administration. Um, but I do have to say that um, the the new mayor was a community member who actually was advocating for this moratorium for um, for months before he ran, ran for office. So this has been one of his biggest priorities. So that might change. Um, the Did I hear you say that the Suffolk County Planning Commission wanted a shorter period? That's right, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting uh, because they, they did the same thing. You know, Southhold um, 
wanted to do a more well, they've they're doing a moratorium on battery energy storage commercial battery energy storage and right. and they they wanted to do a 12 month moratorium and the Suffolk County Planning Commission which is a, a county body that um if if it if it disagrees with the local action um then you know you have to get them to kind of sign off on it and if it, if they disagree um you you can over kind of override them by a supermajority vote, right? right? And so that's yeah. what happened in Southhold with this battery energy storage thing, because they said, no, you should only put a six-month moratorium on it. And um, you know, I guess they're not happy about moratoria. I don't, I don't know, yeah, but um, but but Southhold they unanimously voted to override that essentially and and adopt the uh, uh, moratorium. I didn't. Scott Russell told me that. I don't know if you know. I haven't. I wasn't there. But yeah, no, that that is what happened. And actually, I I don't think you would have. There was these were both unanimous votes on these moratoriums, and I don't think they would have necessarily been unanimous if it wasn't for the fact that they needed a supermajority to um hmm. to uh get over the uh planning commission hurdle because there were a lot of people who were kind of on the fence. Um and how significant that Southampton is considering as well. I yeah. thought I, I heard some sprinklings of uh yeah, so Southampton's considering a same six month moratorium on um applications for battery storage facilities because they, they need to be approved by the planning board and planning board members at a recent meeting said they just really don't understand. Um, you know, it's a, it's a new phenomenon, um, these battery storage facilities. And there's a lot of questions about, um, you know, what happens in the event of a fire where we know these batteries can burn for hours and, you know, and then you're pouring all this water on onto these fires and who knows what what uh, seeps into the groundwater from those but yeah they're considering that too they, i don't think they've passed the legislation yet but i think no. they probably they were saying will. like we don't even that we don't even know what questions that we need to ask right so you know we need time to understand what it even is and i Up think the uh, they'll explain it for you <laughs> the fire and emergency folks have, have spoken up too and said that they need they need time to to just look into what would happen the lithium ion fires present right. a whole separate set of circumstances for those folks. Um, I, look at what happened yeah, the, on the causeway and and uh, yeah. out in Orient. The thing the thing with these batteries is um that they 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 can do like kind of a chain reaction burn thing and they they can burn out of control. Like so one battery heats up enough to heat up the next battery. It's so you have a really um you know major conflagration on your hands potentially uh, the industry representatives claim that they have uh, overcome that with the uh, improved design of these facilities where they segregate the batteries so that that can't happen, they say. Mm -hmm. So that if one battery malfunctions and overheats, it's not going to, they say, affect the others. And, you know, that some of these facilities have had major fires in other places. I think San Diego had one in Arizona. Um, but they say you know it's things are different now and they stress too that these this is not the same as the car batteries it's not and certainly okay. not the same as all these e-bike batteries that are you know okay. you know post aftermarket installations or whatever which are causing a lot of fires and scaring people like they don't want to be tagged with that you know that bad reputation but people are understandably concerned about these things and um you know, there's also I recently read an article about in China is like they're rapidly developing an alternative technology. It's not lithium ion batteries, but um, they're, they're, they use sodium and mm. it's cheaper and they say safer. So that's kind of interesting that we want to be, you know, jump on board with, you know, these batteries when there is a new technology coming that might be cheaper and safer. Um I don't know, but the state is really, really pushing this to happen. I was going to say, I mean, you can't yeah. you can't wait too, too long because, they, you know, the like you said, the state is pushing this. And I think not just New York State, but, um, you know, but but everybody and for the listeners who 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 aren't aware, these energy, these uh, battery storage units are are are, are designed to, you know, to, to store energy. 
um, as we move toward more green, greener energy solutions, windmills and solar farms and that type of, um, you know, thing that that produces this electricity, you've got to store it somewhere. I mean, it's, it's not like electric producing grids where they produce the electricity. It just goes out and into the grid. You know, you produce through these batteries. It's not utilized right away. You store it in these facilities. And and when when the grid needs it, it pulls from from these facilities. And, you know, and, and the state has has made a commitment um, you know, to to really move forward with um, you know, with these greener, greener solutions. And the towns out here have as as well. And the technology is constantly evolving, which I think is really part mm-hmm. of part of the, the equation that, as you say, we're sort of planning for these lithium ion facilities. You never know in five years uh, that may be replaced with an entirely different technology. But for now, it's essential to get those places. I know there are there are a handful of those proposals, and some of them are in western Southampton town. Um, and as as we discussed, I think town officials are sort of perplexed about how to even approach these projects. So it's it's an issue all over the the East End right now. What What's interesting to me about the whole phenomenon is is you it's not it's not um, LIPA that's that's building these things. There's this whole public-private partnership where you've got these these um, these companies coming in that, that want to build these storage facilities obviously you know um you know they're they're commercial and they're and they're going to make money and 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 all that and 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 that's fine but it's just interesting that you've got these partnerships so you've got these companies coming in that just just want to get going and just want to get these things built and you know so you've got some of the same hurdles when you're looking at, at regulation of them that that you would with with any development is you know you can't necessarily take what they say on on face value you've got to examine it you've got to look at it and uh you know and that's where some of these issues come in with the the planning boards and the town boards you know looking at these with with um little little expertise yet um because it's it's still developing meanwhile wind power is full uh wind ahead yeah <laughs> yeah work, work is getting underway on the the turbines this summer i think they hope to have the turbines off montauk um online by the end of the year and they've they began uh, a couple of weeks ago pulling the cable through the facilities that they created um on shore so yeah we're we are moving full steam ahead with that no question you know before we leave this subject to, just to go back for a second to matt uh to uh greenport and the moratorium so how how strong are the development pressures in uh greenport and i mean I, greenport has really developed um fairly significantly in the last five to ten years right uh, there's there's some there's there's some pretty sizable pressures on keeping that in control yeah, well, I, I think, you know, I mean, all of this is kind of relative. I mean, if you go to, to downtown Riverhead and you see what's being built there, um, nothing that's really being built anywhere else on the East End compares to that. So that's one of the arguments that like a lot of the people who are opponents of the moratorium in Greenport said is like, you have no idea how small your development pressure, um, the pressures that you're facing are compared to some other areas. But it's a very small village. I mean, it's the same thing in Sag Harbor where you see 79 units of affordable housing. So 79 in the middle of, in, in like a three, this was a three story building. It was in the middle of the village. I three mean, story building. Dramatically changes the character of a village. And, and, the, and, you know, Greenport is about the same size village. So, um, any, any major construction project is any, any construction project is going to be major. Um, w- I mean, one of the one of the things that Greenport has historically faced is just having, you know, empty storefronts and um, just just maintaining the fact maintaining a, a viable downtown business district that people go to year round has always been a struggle there. Um, and the businesses that are there now, you know, they really hurt in the wintertime. So um, for for many members of the business community to sign on to a moratorium is actually kind of notable um, because it it might hurt them um but mm-hmm. they don't want to see killing the golden goose primarily sure. they, well, they well, want and, to stay what uh, it is and aside yeah. from from normal development pressure that's that's certainly there when when a village or municipality starts talking about 
you know, planning for the future and talking about zone changes and allowing this or allowing that, I, I think you, you have an added development pressure from, um, you know, from companies that that, that want to come in and utilize the previous code or or had, you know, some kind of plan, you know, a possible plan in the works, yeah. but but it gets fast-tracked because they want to get in under the, the current zoning and not get restricted under under potential future zoning. So that just adds that development pressure. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So before we leave the North Fork, let's let's move over to Mattatuck Inlet. And there's a proposal there uh, that has to do with uh, Strong's, I believe, right? They have something that they're proposing. Yeah, uh, Strong's uh, Marine, Strong, Strong's uh, was a marina in Mattatuck for many years off of um, Deep Hole Creek, and they've expanded greatly in the last few uh, months and in the last few years, rather. And uh, there's, there's a, they have a branch called Strong's Yacht Center, which is just uh, south of the mouth of the Mattatuck Inlet on the Long Island Sound. Uh, so it, it accommodates very large um, yachts, and they want to build two new yacht storage buildings. Each of them is about 50,000 square feet. Um, they'd be heated space. They'd be dug into a hillside behind their existing boat storage facilities, which are along like a very narrow portion of um, uh, land that's like at grade with the inlet. So they'd have to take out, I, I don't have it off the top of my head, it's like 134,000 cubic yards of sand. Wow. 4,100 truckloads. Uh, 4, coming and going so 4100 would be yeah. like 8200 trips um so this has raised a lot of concerns these are big trucks they're like 30 yard um sand hauling trucks and this is a wow. very yeah, 32 uh, yards yeah they've so been this looking is, to do this for a long time too yes they've been hung up in secret Right. And Secret is where it's at right now. Uh, Strong's is having their own meeting at the Mattatuck Library next Tuesday, the 25th, to give people uh, an idea of um, what they're proposing. That's from 4 to 7.30. The actual how, how, long hearing... a time, how long a time frame are they talking about with these trucks going back and forth? Um, it's within a year I, yeah according to the deis it was going to take about six months they were talking yeah. about originally they were talking about hauling it from december this december coming to next june that's but that time. is all going to depend on when it gets approved right and the deis beth said 4500 truck trips which okay i mean it's only 400 but you know yeah yeah no, I, you're right yeah. i mean the thing is these trucks are are you know ginormous i mean we see them on the road i live on actually more than i'd i'd like um from coming to and from sand mines and calverton here um but but they weigh like your gross vehicle weight of 53.5 tons according to the dis wow. when they're fully when they're fully loaded um 107,000 pounds and empty they weigh 32,000 pounds uh 16 tons those are yeah. big trucks they're and gigantic trucks imagine very five feet long very quiet. <laughs> oh yeah they're very yeah. quiet they shake the house when they come rumbling by oh, just imagine they don't the drive stress. slow either <laughs> imagine the stresses on on the roadways though i mean on the public roadways yeah. that, that that's going to cause yeah. And, you know, this is, you know, this is like basically digging out the coastal marinal headland there that, um, right. that you yeah. know, this is like a, a really important um, ecological feature of the landscape on the sound. Um, and uh, it backs up to a South Old Town Preserve as well. And I guess they're going to be building a retaining wall to prevent the hill from collapsing further. But But they do uh, have permission to do that, right? They, I don't know where they're at with the permits they need for that, but they are, they, you know, they're the DEIS hearing before the planning board is on May 14th, mm. May 15th, Monday, May So the 15th. environmental part of that is still, still being done. Right. Got it. Yeah. And there's so a group that's very unhappy, right? Save Mattatuck Inlet. They were formed they together. Save Mattatuck Inlet was basically kind of formed to, to fight um, this. Yeah. The, to to provide the public with information about <laughs> that's good that's good good um, good to have uh we've got we've got you guys on the on the ball to keep an eye on 
both of those projects on the North Fork. So I'm sure well, Beth, was, it, Beth was saying that the route that these trucks would have to take. Talk about that, Beth. Oh, the, really the, the agritainment corridor. Yeah. <laughs> um, so these, you know, uh, Coxneck Lane in Mattatuck, which is kind of where the North Fork Roadhouse and Bridge Lane Winery are, if you're familiar with that, Wendy's Deli. Mm-hmm. Um, so you go west on that, you're on Sound Avenue, which is very picturesque and very full of traffic, especially on fall weekends when pumpkin. Oh, my God. Oh, actually, Garlic Festival. Uh, you name it. There are all kinds of um, apple picking festivals, corn festivals. Mm-hmm. So there's that. a special parade planned for <laughs> for those. And it will be a parade of of several 32 ton trucks. Our, our matching trade parade finally very so, festive someone puts so. a sign up on a regular basis along that corridor it says um traffic festival ahead yeah. <laughs> there you go so it's all part of the big plan on the north fort i mean i guess that's why they want to do this from december to june but that doesn't mean it's going to happen then. harbs yeah. will get will get a little bit of relief from being the uh the centered uh, complain, you know, person. <laughs> the, tar- the target. The oh, giant yes, target. target. It'll just be compounded complaining. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> As I said, I'm sure we'll be talking about this much going into the future. We'll keep an eye on it. Uh, it's behind the headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our panelists today are Beth Young of the East End Beacon, Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, and Gianna Volpe of right here at WLIWFM. Before we move on to a new topic, I do want to take a second to offer a correction to last week's show. Uh, We actually had a listener contact us, and on the show we had talked a bit about the proposed new public pool in Montauk. And we had said along the the way in the conversation that there was no public pool in in Montauk. And one of our listeners contacted us to point out that Montauk Downs State Park does have a pool. Oh, uh, so we were we were mistaken about that. So we appreciate, you know, our listeners fact checking us. Uh, it's good. Good to have them out there keeping an eye on us. Uh, so we want to issue that correction. And thank you to our listener for picking up on that for us. So so moving on, um, it was a tough week uh, in a lot of ways when it comes to gun violence. We spoke last week, Denise, about a shooting that took place in Riverhead that took the life of a 15 year old boy. Um, which kind of localizes the issue. But this past week, I thought was really tragic in, in, a, in, a, in a unique way that we had three different incidents, one upstate New York, one in Kansas City, and one in Texas that all involved shootings of people who were mistakenly in the wrong place at the wrong time. And someone fired and in in two cases took lives and in in one case seriously injured a very young uh boy um there is a real issue that seems to be coming to the surface now and and i think it's fascinating when we talk about guns in america the conversation has really centered in the last few years on mass shootings and obviously that's a problem as well and we just had another mass shooting a second one in louisville kentucky uh, you know, mass killing with guns uh, within a matter of a couple of days, that's still a problem too. But I feel like there's an underreported part of the gun issue. And that is this issue of people who are armed, who then react um, without restraint and innocent people uh, can get injured and killed. And, and that's not even to discuss the greater risk of suicide with guns in the house. We're becoming an armed to the teeth society, Gianna. That that's that's. Uh, uh, I think we're starting to 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 reap what we've sowed over the last ten to twenty years. These intemperate killings are just horrific, and it is so important for people to be learning safety and discipline. Uh, you know, people that are are interested in these types of things. Uh, what, like we say with the with the opioid issue, one life is too many. Uh, it is just unthinkable to 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 know that the Riverhead community is minus Preston Gamble, 
a, a young man with with a bright future who from what i can see was a was a good human a- and why you know teenagers have have squabbles but the fact that there is an ability for these teenagers to have their their squabbles happen to the point that someone is dead uh, that's something that cannot be undone Denise, I feel like we're almost in in a social experiment with so many guns. And when you introduce so many guns to so many different situations, they make them not only worse, but deadly. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. And I think that I, I, I think that some of the things that happened in this past week, Joe, um, really speak up to something else, too. I mean, not just the proliferation of guns, but the proliferation of fear that people have. And, you know, I can't help but think that it's at least in part or fueled in part by the messages that people are getting from certain media. Mm. You know, um, I, you know, Fox News in particular, um, they, you know, there's there's a constant drumbeat of how lawless and you know how crap there's all the criminals and it's also lawless and you know they they drum up fear and i mean to some extent you know if you watch any kind of urban tv local news station you get a steady diet of of criminal activity right and um you know i remember an elderly aunt of mine being you know like afraid to go out um and i was like but there's nothing to be afraid of. Like you live in a very safe neighborhood. Don't, you know, oh, it's terrible out there now, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it's, you know, the message that people are getting fed that they get, they begin to be be paranoid and in their fear. And so when a kid rings a doorbell by mistake, he was at the wrong house. He was going to pick up his little brother and, you know, and he shot twice by an 85 year old man with a gun who was terrified of him. Um, you could say because of the color of skin. I'm not sure what went through that man's mind, but you know, the kid didn't do anything. Um, I think a woman upstate, so many... the woman upstate was shot in but in a car that pulled into a drive the wrong driveway. Right, a GPS mistake. And you again, know? it was someone who was you know armed and and terrified. Afraid. Like yeah. right, you know. And I wonder in that case. It seems like armed and angry too. That that you yeah. know it had to do with with you know not not being on their property and but but it just in each of those cases it's remarkable to me that that there are people who decided to shoot first, um, you know instead yeah. of it, it, it and, and I think you're absolutely right, Denise. It's about a level of fear that we have in this country of each other. We're terrified of each other at this point, and so. I think well, I, I think it manifests itself with with people reacting this way. And, and I then agree. You, with and you, and then you, you pass these stand your stand your ground laws that, yep. that just justify, you know, the the shoot first yep. mentality where, where the government says it's okay if somebody's on your property, you, you pull your gun out and and you shoot them. And it's obviously I'm oversimplifying that, and it doesn't say that. And you're supposed to have a, a fear for for your safety and all that, but. But I think that just adds to it. it it's just you're, you're giving people license to kill. The polarization of people also, as far as how they consume news and the spreading apart um, into these the factions where the, the, the news they're fed is colored in some way by politics. I think that's absolutely feeding into it. And and Joe, I think you hit it on the head too when you said people are so angry. Yeah, we're it's a we're an armed and angry nation. It's really, you know, I, I don't like to think about it. This, the sad a- truth too is that the response that many people have to the gun violence is to buy a gun for protection, mm-hmm. quote unquote. That that it that it's it's in order to it's in response to some perception of a gun violence that you're adding to by by bringing another gun into the situation and it's a misperception because the probability when you buy a gun is that gun will kill you that is the probability and i just hope people understand that 
Yeah. And and it's also important to point out that, you know, I, I not to get too deep into the to the political weeds, but Jim Jordan brought his House committee to New York to talk about a, a crime wave in New York City when the numbers do not back that up. But I have to point out that if you watch local news in New York, it certainly feels like New York is at an all time high when it comes right. to violence. And and I don't think perception and reality are necessarily lined up. Right. And the, the points that were made that this, that same violence is taking place in Jim Jordan's home state of Ohio at a level that's actually significantly higher than New York. And, and I, I don't know what you know, I don't think we're going to get out of this anytime soon, too. I think this is this is a, a social experiment that we're that's going to be. A lengthy one. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I don't well, see well, there's, a solution. There, there's just too many guns. You can't. You can't go backwards at this point. I mean, even if you instituted some kind of you know stronger gun control measures, there's just so many out there now that that you're just never. You can't pull them back, and it, it's just. It, it's just. I. I don't know. Like you said, I don't. I don't know that there is any kind of solution. Well, I remember yes. reading that. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Beth. Yeah, I mean, th these are talking points on the right. I mean, I get a press releases every day from Republican members of the New York State Legislature calling the New York State Legislature the pro-crime New York State mm -hmm. Legislature. So this is this is not an accident. Um, but I mean, we've had issues on the North Port. I mean, we a year ago this week, some uh, a kid was ring out ringing doorbells, but he was like, you know, ringing and running, and somebody shot him in the hand. Mm -hmm. He was all right, but it's the parallels between this and what's happening nationally. I mean, this could happen here. Absolutely. And Denise, you, you talked about you're going to be doing a story about a presentation that's taking place in Riverhead over the weekend. And I, this this is just a, so alarming to me, but I understand it. I understand why it's taking place. Tell, tell us about that. Uh, it, it's actually taking place on Tuesday. Tuesday oh, I'm sorry. I thought evening. it was. No, that's was, okay. No, I said I, I wanted to get the story done over the weekend. Got it. <laughs> we went because, because it's coming up Tuesday. And I think I'm going to be speaking with the presenter today. Um, and yeah, they're doing um, active shooter active shooter training. Um, it's a free uh, program uh, at, at the Suffolk Theater Tuesday. I Let me look and see about the time. Do you know, Beth, you had something on it, I think. Um, but, um, you know, it's to... It's to help people know what to do in the event they are they find themselves held in that terrifying situation in you know a public place where somebody's you know got a gun and decides he's going to kill people. Um, and um, I I personally I mean it depresses me to think that we need to have that um, kind of a training. But on the other the hand, it's necessary. Sign of, and, sign of the times, right? Yeah. And um, and I think useful because who, I mean, I who knows? I don't know what to do. I don't have any idea what to do. I mean, you know, I didn't get that, that when I was in school, we didn't get active shooter training. We got, uh, you know, get under get under your desk. The nuclear bombs are falling. Uh, but, um, you know, what that would have done. But which um, which one is scarier? I wonder. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I still I'm, I'm traumatized. The, the, active, shooter, the active shooter is infinitely scarier because if a nuclear bomb yeah. drops, that's infinite uh, dissolution. You, you, everybody, it would be uh, <laughs> just a second. But, but well, an active shooter situation is terrifying. Yeah. And, and well, the I active mean, shooter situations have actually happened. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's right. Frequently. Yeah. You know, we had we had a situation in Riverhead in the past week or so, a couple of situations, really. But, um, you know, a, some ch child brought bullets to school, apparently. And um, he gave one bullet to this was in, a, in the high school. He gave a bullet to another kid and then a, a third kid found a bullet on the floor and it went to the security. and. Of course, that set off a chain reaction of things that just resulted in sounded like a lot of confusion and, you know, um, and of course, you know, rumors began like, you know, kids text their parents. They're in um, or it was a term I never heard of before. It wasn't locked down, stay in, uh, stay in place order or something like that was put in. And so they were, you know, 
So then parents were, you know, of course, because of the, the way everything is today, parents were flipping out right. and, you know, going to the school to get their kids. And it just turned into this whole, you know, I mean, at an, in another time, all right, it's not a good thing to bring bullets to school. And why do you do that? But um, it would not have erupted into what it erupted last week. And that's just a reflection of the times we're living in. And the fear people have justified fear that, you know, of what can happen to their most precious, you know, thing in the world, their child. Um, because of the randomness of it, too. Yeah. I, you know, I remember I remember conversations with the late police chief, uh, Steve Skrinecki, here in Southampton town. Mm -hmm. And this was something that really haunted him. Um, I, I've had conversations with him uh, that he was he was very concerned about the possibility of some type of a mass shooting in in on the South Fork in his jurisdiction, maybe at one of these high profile summer events that that he said, you know, these are these are high profile events. And if if somebody wanted to do something, it's a it's a place where it could happen. And so it was very much on his mind. And he spent a lot of time and energy uh, preparing for that, like not likelihood, that possibility. But, you know, we've been lucky that we haven't had anything like that, knock on wood, um, yeah. quite to that degree. But it just feels like it feels like uh, we're reaching a, a critical mass with with the gun situation. I remember reading that that Australia actually had a similar situation a few years ago, and then they had a mass shooting that really startled the country badly enough that that they instituted new controls and they had a buyback program and really made a big difference in the number of guns in the country. I cannot see that happening in America. I don't think it's going to happen. No, how bad? Well, yeah, yeah, it's well just because the the whole you know Second Amendment argument I think makes makes that impossible. People are just so so dug in on that and i get that you know i mean i understand the you know but it's just so so deep a part of the culture here that whenever you talk about you know gun regulation or legislation or control or or whatever it, it just it 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 signals that that deep down you know constitutional taking away our rights um argument and there's just no logic i think in in any of the conversations because it's well it, it you know, like it was completely distorted the, the meaning of that second well, amendment got completely distorted by the national right. rifle association i don't know but uh, so tuesday but it's, I, I but it's ingrained 7 p.m it is it's absolutely ingrained it's just ingrained and, in people you know but to me I think we should anyone we'll, go trade in your anyone ar-15 we'll give you a musket here you go so yeah. <laughs> it's open to the public. It's free. It's at the Suffolk Theater, uh, one seventeen or one East Main Street. You can't miss it if you come to Riverhead Main Street. And um, seven o'clock, active shooter incidents prevent, prepare, respond, survive. Um, and that's on seven o'clock on Tuesday, April twenty fifth. Yeah. So yeah. Now, are we? Are now? Let me just ask the question: Are we propagating fear by? by yeah, we're propagating paranoia. It, I, I mean, I mean, in some in some ways, in some ways, yes, we are. But um, I'm just looking at it from the strict journalistic perspective of here's the numbers, here's the sheer unbelievable numbers of actual shootings that have happened, and you know, and that we very sadly have lost a young person in our small community, you know, uh, this month. And so uh, it just, it was timely and felt necessary to, to broach the topic. Um, but I, I do want to stress that, you know, folks that think that buying a gun is going to protect them, you're more likely to lose your life to that gun than to save your life buying buying a gun. Uh, I, I would also add to that in answer to your question, Joe. I mean, yeah, it feels like maybe, you know, are we stoking fear? I, I don't really think so because this is all about educating people, situational right. awareness. How do you how do you recognize 
real danger. You know, I mean, maybe if people were more educated about that and just less like less knee jerk, terrified about everybody, um, you know, maybe they would have more, you know, uh, emotional intelligence and have have a, a more appropriate response when they see a stranger Amen. Know, at their door or anywhere else. Absolutely. I, I don't know. know. I don't know how you transition away from this topic to a new topic, but I'm going to yeah. do my best to try and do that as we move on. Uh, this is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our panelists today are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Gianna Volpe of right here at WLIWFM. So uh, this show is going to be airing for the first time on Earth Day. So happy Earth Day to our <laughs> panel. Um, Gianna, you wanted to talk about Earth Day. Tell me about celebrating Earth Day in 2023. Okay, so I have, first of all, every day is Earth Day, my friends. So if you're not able to get out there and do a thing, you can celebrate the Earth every single day. It's my top, I have four fancy post-it notes with all the different ways you can celebrate uh, throughout the East End. SOFO's Earth Day celebration will be 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., uh, at Quag Wildlife Refuge. This is all from East End Beacon, by the way. Thank you. Beth, noon to 3 p.m. <laughs> um, Iron Pier, Surfrider is doing a beach cleanup between 10 and 1. If you're up a little earlier, head on down to 200 Howell Avenue. Um, there's going to be a town-wide cleanup by the litter committee of Riverhead Town. If you show up at 9, they'll give you all of the stuff that you need to clean up and then you can, you know, uh, go on your merry way and clean elsewhere. Also on the North Fork, uh, Moore's Woods, 10 a.m. Uh, the the place to meet is 190 Moore's Lane, though. They're going to ask you to provide any everything except for um, garbage bags. They will be providing that. Uh, a, a note that as much as we love the earth, we do not love tick-borne illnesses. So whenever you are out and about uh, on our lovely East End or beyond, they are out there. I've found one on myself and on my little baby mm. already. So they are active. It's warm enough for them to be crawling around. It looks like Lone Star ticks are big. I spoke with Jerry Simons just recently of the regional uh, tick um Council, it's, I'm not saying the right thing, but the, the, the education group surrounding tick-borne illness uh, says the Lone Star, very active. That's who I found. Uh, tall socks. Um, there's a great organic spray made by local moms. I think it's three moms organic. I'm going to look that up. Um, but a little deet on the shoes, if you're not afraid to do that and tick checks check yourself for ticks after you go outside yeah That's this and this is the time of year when people are starting to emerge and go out into take walks and go go out for beach cleanups and um mm -hmm. So the, and, the ticks, the ticks are waiting, right? <laughs> and if you are busy uh, this morning, Saturday morning, if you happen to be somewhere like at the Riverhead Comprehensive Plan meeting at 10 a.m., um, <laughs> there is there is a the North Fork Environmental Council is holding their Earth Day 5K um, next weekend, the oh. 30th. So you have a little time to get some more Earth celebrating in. They, that raises money for their scholarships. Oh, and you can stop by the Dandelion Festival. Beth. Uh, in Southold at Iran KK's farm, you can learn all about biodynamic agriculture, hear some music, get some great local goodies. It's on the main road in Southold. 59945 Main Road. Gianna. <laughs> we planned this. <laughs> 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 and it's and it is it's three moms organic.com if you're interested in a local locally made organic tick spray to protect your family yeah we should note when when earth day was founded back in the 70s it really did bring about some major changes right away the the epa was founded and the you know there there were there was legislation oh, yeah. that was was passed it really sparked a conversation in the 70s and i remember back then it was ecology that was mm -hmm. the 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 term that was used but 
it sparked a conversation that had not been taking place up to that time. And, and it's so much a part of what we talk about now and, and with you know climate change being now the, the new issue. But it also I, I wonder if we would be having those conversations today if it weren't for the founding of Earth Day back in the 70s. So um, I think it's a great thing that, that Earth Day has continued on. It's sort of, uh, I think it's taken on a new significance with this generation. Um, oh, it feels, sure. like, feels like feels like the new the generation. Urgency. Uh, the urgency yeah. is there that, uh, you know, in a new way. Um, we did a little story uh, just this morning, actually. I published it about... Um, what you know how the osprey population has rebounded because of the efforts of people environmental advocates who uh managed to get ddt banned mm. um which uh, was a chemical pesticide that uh thinned the eggs of ospreys and so they were you know their offspring were not surviving um and um you know now they're back they're back in force we've got um, 550 uh, nests on the East End, according to uh, a survey done by the group for the East End. And um, they're beautiful, beautiful birds. And, you know, they wouldn't be here today had it not been for those regulations. So, you know, when people complain about, especially environmental regulations, that a lot of businesses and agricultural industry you know, pushes back on that all the time, um, we have to keep in mind that that those regulations do protect the environment and the only planet that we have to live on, as well as our own health. So, and, and now we have not only osprey but bald eagles. Um, yes, eagles I saw one the other the day. Population yeah. that's very good. I, I should point yeah. out to you something. Yeah. Something I like. I like to remind people is when the plastic bag ban was proposed, mm-hmm. some what ten years ago at this point. I remember the narrative that was out there that said, oh, this was a terrible idea and people would never adopt it and it would have economic impacts. And those things never happened. So, uh, you know, it's got to be, you, we've got to keep that in mind as new measures are proposed going forward, that uh, that sometimes those measures don't have the giant impact, uh, the negative impact that people think. But I, but I don't think there's any question that the banning of plastic bags was was a really significant move, and it started here. Um, it you know th- this area was one of the leading uh, communities to do that, and now it's become just something you do in in coastal areas. So it's great to be uh, that this region has been part of the 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 tip of the blade, you know, in in putting some new things in place. And it's made a difference. You know, yeah. Oh, and I wanted to uh, you don't see them in trees like you used to. I loved Kitty Merrill's, I believe it was Kitty's piece, educating folks about um, why to respect uh, the piping plover plover. restrictions mm-hmm. and explaining that all you're doing by going behind and disrespecting the fencing is elongating how long the fencing is there for. I, I really, I learned a lot. I love Kitty's description that they're just, they're very sort of, persistent breeders that if their breeding doesn't work, they will just go right back at it. And so if you keep disturbing their, their attempts to breed, you just elongate the season and make all the restrictions last even longer. Right. Let them get busy. Yeah. Let let the plovers get busy on their own time and, and we can get through this. So yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So, um, before we only have a couple of minutes left, but but Denise, we should take a moment to note that uh, at the state level in Albany, the the state budget battle seems to be coming to a close. Um, they seem to be closing in on something, and and the big development in the last couple of days, uh, as far as the East End is concerned, is it looks like the governor's housing plan um, is is on hold for the time being. And and what I understand is that state officials have just kind of agreed to set the whole conversation aside for now. There isn't a a plan right now to do incentives instead. It's really just, we'll deal with that separately. It's not going to be part of the state budget conversation. That's, I I know that there's dueling narratives out there about her housing plan. Um, A lot of people see this as sort of suburban 
communities um, refusing to change with the times. But this is a, an area that's that's more than willing to add housing. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, and I think that um, certainly, you know, in Riverhead, we, we've embarked on the path of this transit-oriented uh, development at relatively high density relative to the typical single-family, you know, residential development that you see in the suburbs. But, um, you know, that was the crux of that plan, as I understand it. They, the governor was looking to sort of mandate if if communities didn't do it on their own, um, mm -hmm. that kind of development near uh, transit hubs, uh, train train hubs, for example, train stations. And I mean, I have a, a lot of opinions about that. I mean, we don't we don't have transit to have a hub around exactly. You know, I mean, right. the trains people are not getting on the Long Island Railroad to go to work from Riverhead or Mattatuck or, you know, I mean, it just doesn't, it's it's not what it's used for. That certainly um, is true in areas yeah. to the West, but it doesn't really yeah. apply to the East End. It doesn't really right. apply here. And, but I mean, I think, you know, the idea was to get people to, you know, engage in this. And I thought, you know, I, I think that was the motive and, and to provide housing so that people can, you know, housing that people can afford to, um, to rent or buy and, and live in. I, I think it's, a matter of fair debate about whether or not these developments actually do that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, higher density does not necessarily result in, you know, affordable rent. I can tell you that from just knowing what, you know, people have, have experienced in Riverhead. Mm -hmm. um, so, and the governor's idea of overriding local zoning yeah. in cases well, was, was was it was a difficult I mean, I mean i think this yeah. is an issue we're really grappling with in communities here but there isn't much doubt that that there's an interest in creating new housing opportunities i think in the end we're going to get there it's just a question of how we get there that that was the deal breaker i think because it's right. like you know that's one thing local officials detest is the idea of the state coming in and you know usurping their zoning Power. like that's that's the, the main power of local government yeah they're like that's, yeah. A, that's all we had we had yeah, one job. so you know uh, but one, one might devil's advocate might argue that some of the local is. zoning <laughs> contributed to um to some of the housing problems we have now by by prioritizing Absolutely. single right. family homes on 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 large parcels so maybe there's and a, racial a, segregation and racial well. segregation Absolutely. so maybe there's a conversation to be had about overriding yes. zoning at a different time when we have more time there is yep. definitely work to do there and and uh i think the local officials would prefer to be the ones to do it but they got to do it that's no, the whole thing and i think the governor's yeah. not wrong about that so yeah we are out of time uh this has been a lively conversation appreciate it so i want to thank our panelists this week gianna volpe of right here at wliw uh beth young of the east end beacon and denise civiletti of the riverhead local thank you guys appreciate you being thank here you. Thank you to my co-host, Bill Sutton. I uh, appreciate it. And, and thank you, Joe. Absolutely. I'm Joe Shaw. Uh, we will be back next week with another edition of Behind Headlines. Thanks for listening.